told me before that you had something that you'd like to share. No matter what you're thinking, let it out. It will be much harder for you to conceive in the future. I'm so sorry, Claire. Have you thought about some kind of rebirth? Sometimes it can be very healing. Does she want the baby? How should I know? What do you want? What's she gonna do? Is she gonna keep it? Get a bloody grip, Claire. trailer for Miranda Nation's Undertow. Hello and welcome to the Cinema Australia podcast. My name is Matthew Eels. We all know it takes a very large team of people to make a movie and while everyone involved works tirelessly behind the scenes, more often than not there's that one single person who literally puts their blood, sweat and tears into their film to bring their vision to life. In Undertow's case it's writer and director Miranda Nation. Miranda has created an extraordinary piece of Australian cinema with her debut feature film, Undertow. I won't go into the plot because Miranda explains it in her own words early in this episode. Here, we discuss how Miranda discovered her love of acting and film via medicine, uh, growing up in her hometown of Geelong, and the footy-mad community which inspired certain themes of this film. We also discuss themes of mental illness and Miranda's own similar experiences to the ones her lead character Claire experiences in Undertow. Miranda has acted in television, she's worked with trafficked women and she's worked alongside uh, directors like Kate Shortland and uh, Jocelyn Morehouse as a director's attachment. Her journey so far makes this podcast a must-listen for any young filmmaker starting out in the industry. Anyway, enjoy. He does have a conscience in some way, but he's kind of like a uh, just a, a madman who can out-drink, out-last, out-fun everyone all the time. Luke's interpretation of that was uh, probably more extreme than what I had written on the page or envisaged myself. The day that we were going out to shoot the open water scenes, we were told that there were some dead whale carcasses that were bringing in real tiger sharks and great white sharks and they'd been sighted in the area we were told not to go in the water but i could just see instantly that how talented rhiannon was and there was just it really blew me away there is still a bit of a, a boys club out there for sure and also with Dee Wallace, she gave me great input on the script for this to make her have a very pro-choice stance throughout the film. And the simple fact is, the movie, the whole thing occurs because a right-wing guy blows up a clinic. 
very organically, somehow, the name The Comet Kids popped up. And we sort of just kind of based the movie around that name. Like, it happened really quickly. We kind of thought, like, that's a really great name for a movie. Like, what is, what, who are The Comet Kids? We just thought it was very, very important to uh, start writing more roles for women and uh, women not just, as I said, as girlfriends, mothers and people in love, but women who are their own people as we are. <laughs> Miranda Nation, uh, thank you very much for joining the Cinema Australia podcast. It's great to have you with us. Thanks, Matt. It's great to be here. Um Wow, the release of Undertow. It's been a, a long time coming, it feels like. How does it <laughs> yes. uh, feel to finally get it, it out has there? Been. Oh, it's very exciting. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. I mean, you know, you make a film so that it can be seen, so it's it's great that it's finally having its time in cinemas and everyone can um, finally come and see it. Uh, there's this frustrating time for uh, filmmakers uh, and like in Undertow's uh, case where it had its premiere at the Melbourne International Film Festival back in 2018 um, yes. and then, then it screened at the end of the year at um, Cinefest Oz uh, of that same year. Um, not everyone's aware of how long it can take to get a film out to the public. Uh, as a filmmaker, how frustrating are those delays? Oh, look, it is very frustrating. I mean, um, we then did the international festival circuit, so we had our international premiere at Edinburgh uh, and then our North American premiere at Austin. So those were both last year. Um, but I think it just it speaks to how difficult it can be for the smaller um, independent Australian films to actually get seen at the cinema, um, and especially with the uh, changing platforms and the way people are viewing. It's um, just becoming increasingly difficult and people are tra- trying to change their strategy to, you know, give films the audience they deserve. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's even more frustrating for the for the audience is that films like this, like Undertow, uh, these small independent films, they're often the best films. <laughs> and uh, and what we actually get are the, you know, the big budget ones, which, uh, you know, not a lot of people are really interested in. <laughs> and have, they have the big marketing budgets, Yeah, that's right, so, that's right. Yeah, um, this sort of film really depends on word of mouth, but yeah. it's trying to get that going in time for uh, people to, to get to the cinema and... and you know, sometimes we see films come and go very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two brothers who live in Geelong. And, uh, oh, really? I, yeah, I've, I've uh, visited a few times. And, and every t- time I go back, I'm reminded of how big that city actually is. Um, yes. From someone in, in uh, WA, you just think Geelong, oh, yeah, it's a small, you know, coastal town. But it's, it's huge. Uh, 250,000 people, I think, is the uh, population. I think so, yeah, last, um, last time I checked. Uh, tell us about growing up in Geelong and, uh, and what it was like for you. Well, it's funny that you say that because, I mean, my experience growing up in Geelong was that it felt like an overgrown country town, mm. <laughs> even though, as you say, it is a cosmopolitan city in some ways. It um, it has got sort of that small town feel. Um, and, you know, as a teenager, I absolutely hated it. I, I really wanted to be living in Melbourne. I, you know, got up to Melbourne every chance I could and just couldn't wait to get out. So it was quite ironic that I ended up back there making my debut feature. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you live there currently or, or are you living No, up I live in Melbourne. Um, mm. My parents still live down there. Right, so right. So I go down quite often. Um, so, so growing up in Geelong, I mean, Melbourne has this uh, huge filmmaker, filmmaking culture, both independent and mainstream. Does mm. that culture trickle down to Geelong? Or, you know, were you provided with enough uh, encouragement to become a filmmaker? Oh, no, look, my path to filmmaking was quite um, long. I came through acting, mm. so... I think now there's, um, you know, Geelong has really reinvented itself as quite a cultural capital, but 
I'd say growing up there, no, not in my sphere. There wasn't a huge amount of encouragement to follow my passion in the arts. You know, I loved cinema. Uh, I loved watching movies and what I saw on the screen was um, the actors um, and I was passionate about that medium. I don't know if it even occurred to me that I could be a filmmaker, that, you know, there was someone behind the scenes that was doing all that and that that's something that I could even do. So I pursued acting via a sort of circuitous route. I I wasn't really encouraged at school to um, go into the arts, Um, so I ended up going to uni and studying medicine for a couple of years and then found that, you know, that really wasn't where I wanted to be, so started giving it a go as an actor. Oh, that, um, that's great. We all come back to what we what we love in the end, yes. don't we? Yeah. <laughs> you know, once you start following your passion, I think generally you feel much more fulfilled. So I then went and studied in Paris for a couple of years at a um, physical theatre school and came back to Australia, you know, with the intent and uh, encouraged and inspired to create my own work. And it just so happened that rather than that being in theatre, I started writing for film and started making short films. So, yeah, it was... I wasn't one of those people who right from, you know, childhood or teenagehood decides, knows that they want to be a filmmaker. It took me quite a long time to, to get there. Mm. And, uh, and Geelong, like all of um, Victoria, is AFL obsessed. Um, yeah. w- was that a part of growing up for you? And, and I ask this because Undertow does have some, uh, some AFL themes in it. Yes, absolutely. Mm. I mean, um, I think Geelong, there are other places like this, obviously, but because Geelong has its own team. So, you know, in Melbourne, split up into suburbs with different teams, whereas in Geelong, it that footy fever just takes over the entire city at that time of year. Um, not everyone in Geelong barracks for the Cats, but they yeah. probably hide their, <laughs> their, their support for other teams if they're smart. <laughs> but uh, I, I was never personally that um, – into footy, but mm. my grandmother was a huge footy supporter. My three brothers were huge footy supporters. My, you know, high school boyfriend was a footy player. So it was definitely very present in my life. Um, we'll, we'll talk about um, AFL uh, being a part of Undertow and, so, and obviously Undertow's other themes uh, soon. But I want to go back to you uh, as an actor and um, and ask you about your move from acting to directing um, mm. because you did originally study acting and uh, for listeners who don't know, uh, you appeared in uh, Stingers, uh, you know, all the big ones, Stingers, Blue mm-hmm. Healers, Rush and uh, the Dr. Blake mysteries. What were those experiences uh, like for you as an actor? Oh, they were fantastic. Mm. You know, when starting out as an actor, it was just a dream to get those guest roles and start to really, you know, experience what it was like to be on set. Uh, Yeah, it was very exciting. Mm -hmm. Uh, So is that uh, something you've given up on now or or is it something that uh, you, you, you could see yourself returning to? Oh, look, I I didn't really ever mean to give it up. It yeah. just filmmaking, writing and directing took up so much of my time and focus that it kind of, you know, just ended up falling off and then having a family so forth. It's, you know, there's only so many places you can put your energy. So while I still, um, I do love acting, I, I, I wouldn't sort of never say never, but it's, yeah, not something that I'm actively pursuing. Mm-hmm. I feel much more fulfilled behind the camera, actually. Yeah. Um, uh while I was doing uh, my research uh, for this interview, one, one thing that really jumped out at me was that you devised a theatre with trafficked women. Mm. Can, can you tell us a bit more about that? It, it sounded uh, very interesting. Sure. So um, uh, this is going back a number of years. I became involved with a, a group called Project Respect here in Melbourne who work with sex workers. And 
they wanted to do a theatre piece to help, um, you know, get the information out there about what was happening in Australia. So uh, there were a group of Thai women that had been trafficked into the industry who were no longer, um, well, some of them were still um, by choice working in the industry, but no one was um, still in bondage, so to speak. Mm. Um, And then there were a group of Australian women who uh, were sex workers or had been sex workers and and everyone was there voluntarily. They all wanted to be involved in this creative project and share their stories. So, And then there was a group of actors, um, I was among them, led by uh, a director, Catherine Simmons, um, and we all went out for a weekend, a creative weekend workshopping for um, three days, and it was just an opportunity for to hear their stories, for them to share as much as they wanted. Um, it was, you know, incredibly emotional and cathartic, um, and we felt incredibly privileged as actors to for them to, you know, be offering um, us their experience. And then from that, um, we wrote and rehearsed uh, with you know the input of everyone involved, uh, a piece that was a work in progress piece that was then performed at uh, Fitzroy Town Hall. Uh, some of the women chose to perform in it, and some of them just wanted to be their stories to be heard, but didn't actually want to be seen. Mm. So yeah, that was a very really powerful experience, and hopefully it went some way to kind of breaking down some of the stigmas that can surround. Um, sex work and, and people in that industry. Mm. What was the uh, response like from the audiences and the people who were watching it? Oh, you know, incredible. Just mm. it was such an emotional piece and so raw and so honest. Um, you know, people were were very moved by it and also, you know, um, confronted and, and their eyes were opened. Um, uh, uh, you went on to uh, work uh, alongside some of Australia's uh, best filmmakers as a as a director's attachment with uh, Kate mm. Shortland and yes. uh, and Jocelyn Morehouse. What what did you take away from those? I imagine they'd be priceless experiences. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, um, yeah. so I worked with Kate on Berlin Syndrome. Mm. So I was part of the Berlin shoot and the Melbourne shoot. Um, that was a fascinating experience. I mean, I've always loved Kate's work, so it was an absolute honour to be able to work alongside her and observe her process and be privy to, you know, um, how she works. Um, that was fantastic. Uh, and then just last year I worked alongside Jocelyn on Stateless, mm. which is um, just about to screen. And, again, that was just such a fantastic experience. Very different, obviously, because the milieu of um, – television mm. and the way that the set runs and the pace etc is very different to film so you know that was very valuable to see the differences there but overall I think both of them have such a, a strong vision and such a, a beautiful aesthetic that you know they brought their their voice no matter what the medium. Mm. Uh, did you see the ABC piece on Jocelyn Morehouse uh, recently? Uh, was about that her about and her, her family? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. She's a she's an amazing uh, filmmaker, and and I want to see and more of her work. Person. Yeah, an amazing know, person. Yeah. What is what is a journey she's been on? Well, she and PJ. Yeah. And their family. So um so here we are with Undertow now. Uh, can you tell our listeners what it's about in your in your own words? Yeah. So it's a psychological thriller. It's about um, a woman who's grieving the loss of a, a baby. And she becomes involved with a young woman, Angie, who turns out to be pregnant, a teenager. Um, and it's about the complex relationship between the two women. So Claire starts projecting her unresolved grief onto Angie and Angie's baby and, you know, the, the lines between kind of care and um, malice become blurred in, in her grief. 
Mm. Uh, it's this incredibly tense film and, uh, you know, it's a real journey for anyone who's watching it. Uh, my partner and I, as I, as I said before, we watched it together and, you know, you start off on one side of the couch and then as the movie's getting further and further into it, you're getting closer and closer together <laughs> and, and you start to hold each other's hands. And, oh, well, you know. <laughs> did that something nice for your relationship? <laughs> yeah. No, it was, it, was, um, it, it was a terrific film. Um, you, you've said that the story evolved through your own experiences of uh, pregnancy, pregnancy yeah. loss and, uh, and motherhood. And yes. um, nowadays we're encouraged to talk more uh, about mental health, uh, loss and our own um, uh, personal struggles. W- was making this film uh, therapeutic for you in regards to your own experiences? Uh, definitely. And, you know, it's one of those situations of kind of art imitating life, imitating art. So when I first started writing the story, it was, you know, the seed of the idea was about these two women. I really wanted to portray a really kind of complex, multifaceted relationship between two women that wasn't, you know, sort of the the typical um, psycho stalker kind of thing um, or a r- romantic or sexual relationship as such, although I think there's elements of all of those um, things in there. Uh, and then it, it did evolve to encompass that element of grief and pregnancy and fertility. And I experienced uh, a miscarriage um, before falling pregnant with my first daughter. Um, and then in the making of the film, and I've just actually had a, another baby and she's three months old. Um, and in in between our daughters, my partner and I experienced two more miscarriages. So it's kind of the the journey of the film and the journey of motherhood for me are just have been inextricably entwined. And it's kind of, you know, it's been cathartic, but also it's informed the film, I suppose. The you know the experiences that I've gone through. Mm-hmm. Are you uh, are you finding that uh, you know there's that you're getting a lot of people coming up to you after watching these screenings and telling you about their own experiences? Yes, and also through the development and um, the research, you know, it's it's one of those things, like you said, we're encouraged to talk more about mental illness now, but I think, you know, there's still such a taboo around it. And I was listening to um, a doctor talk on Triple R the other day, and there's still this real kind of taboo around discussing pregnancy loss. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you actually start talking about it, everyone has a story, either themselves or their partner or, you know, their sister or their cousin. Mm-hmm. It's so common, and yet we still don't really talk about it much yeah. um, and women I think you know in that first part of pregnancy you know they don't even want to tell people that they're pregnant in case something happens and then you know they, they'll have to kind of discuss the loss whereas sometimes I think if you just talk about it early on then if you know if something does go wrong at least you've got that support system around you so things are changing but I think we do need to keep pushing to change the conversation and the dialogue around around this issue. Mm-hmm. You're listening to the Cinema Australia podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud or at cinemaaustralia.com.au. Um, it, it's a brave film because uh, Australian filmmakers uh, shy away from the themes that that you explore here. But why do you think that is? Because I, I was I was thinking about it, and the most recent example I can think of is maybe Kim Farrant's um, Angel of Mine. Mm. Uh, that maybe that was the the last film, but um, yeah. Why do you think it is that we shy away from making these kind of movies? I don't know. I mean, Australians make a lot of fairly uh, dark, thrilling, intense movies, don't they? Mm, mm. But in terms of um, these kind of, in inverted commas, women's themes, um, perhaps it is to do with that taboo or, I don't know, maybe there's um, there's not seen to be much of an audience, although 
I mean, you know, it is obviously hard to get bums on seats for Australian films, but I'd argue that there's a lot of people that can really relate to these experiences and that will find them resonant. So, look, I don't really know, actually. Mm. So how supporting were the funding bodies of the original script that you wanted to uh, to put to screen? Um, look, we had a process of development and so there's always um, input and notes, but they have been very um, supportive. So Film Victoria were the first investors that came on board and um, have always been very supportive of my journey as a filmmaker. Mm. Um, Myth Premier Fund was one of our uh, key investors and then Screen Australia also supported us. So yeah. I feel very, very lucky and grateful that we've got that support in, our, in Australia. Yeah, so there you go, folks. If you are thinking of exploring these kind of themes in your films, you know, don't shy away from them. Get them out there. There is support out there for it. Um, th- there's two reoccurring elements in this film, uh, water and animals, and, and the animals are mostly dead. <laughs> Can you tell us about the use of those two <laughs> it's elements? not making it sound particularly appealing. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there's a, there is a reason for it. It's an exciting film. <laughs> Um, Can you tell us about those two elements and and what they represent? So something that I really want, you know, I think I'm fascinated with and that recurs a lot in my work is uh, the idea of this kind of battle inside us between our our sort of, you know, primal animal instinctive, instinctual selves and, um, you know, the more kind of civilised, evolved elements of our um, person. And so I think, you know, that plays into those taboos even though, you know, we try and manifest control over so many aspects of our lives quite successfully, there's still, we're still driven by these, um, you know, workings inside our body that we, medical science has done wonders in starting to understand, but there's still a lot that we don't understand. So something with um, pregnancy and fertility, that's one of those areas where you kind of just assume, you know, when the time's right, if I want to, I'll do this and then you can come up against the fact that you actually can't and you don't know why and you know your body's kind of betraying you so that idea of our kind of animal selves um is really something that i wanted to portray each of the the four lead characters is struggling with their own body in in different ways um so that theme of the animals um that's where that came from and water as well i mean for me i think you know it's probably fairly obvious but water is this very symbolic of the ebb and flow of life, you know, the cycle of life. I find when I'm down on the Victorian coast or any coast, but just that that kind of primal, vast aspect of the ocean speaks to me somewhere deeply. Um, so for me, that, that water motif was very much about that kind of cyclical nature of life and, um, you know, the forces inside us that are operating beyond our ken. Mm-hmm. Um, so... There is this other uh, theme to the film where it's it's a backdrop for the film's narrative, I guess, and that's uh, AFL. Um, um, we're never really taken directly into the world of AFL, other than through uh, Brett's character. But why did you decide to to base it around that around the AFL? Uh, partly, oh look, there were a number of reasons. Um, something like I said with the the um, fascination with the body, and I think. Mm. You know, you look at those elite sports people, not just in AFL but in, in so many, and, you know, they've got this incredible kind of relationship with their bodies and this control over their bodies. Um, in the case of AFL, there's something very kind of tribal and primal about the way, you know, these men on the field interact, um, which can then translate off the field with, you know, horrible consequences. Um, I was really interested in exploring this man who – has kind of been lauded, celebrated for his physicality and for his um, alpha male status, if you like. Mm. Uh, but then, you know, 
a couple of years post retirement, he's you know he's no longer able to kind of ride that wave of adulation. His body is you know starting to um, oh, what's the right word? You know he's not in as good shape as he was. He's um, he's struggling with addiction. So yes. to me that all tied in with that theme mm-hmm. again of of our relationship with our bodies and and then Geelong being um, as I said before having its own team and you know it being such a kind of um, footy fever uh, feel to it it seemed yeah it seemed an apt um, realm for for Dan and uh, Brett to exist in mm-hmm. absolutely perfect um you were gifted this incredible cast I mean you know mm-hmm. if, if these if this cast didn't make you want to get back into acting then yeah wow <laughs> they're, they're all incredible um especially Olivia um and Laura and uh, Rob Collins who I feel like uh you know just continues to go from strength to strength as an actor with every film that he does uh, oh, absolutely and <laughs> you know he's, he's working so much at the moment it's yeah. such a pleasure to see him oh I just love it Whenever I see a preview for anything with him in it, I, I just want to watch it straight away. Can yeah. you can you tell us about working with this cast? Oh, look, I, as you say, I was absolutely blessed. Um, from the moment that I saw Laura's audition, I just knew um, that was Claire. To be honest, I'd always envisaged someone older in the role and we had um, been looking for someone kind of early 40s to really heighten that sense of, you know, the biological clock ticking and time yes running out, um, as the doctors like to tell you, when you kind of get into your late, you know, mid to late 30s, especially early 40s. But um, Laura just understood the role so innately and it was like when I saw her audition piece, the rhythms that I'd written, she was just bringing them off the page. And I know that doesn't always happen and it doesn't necessarily need to happen, uh, but when you see that, it's just quite magic, um, magical. So, you know, she was an absolute joy to work with. Um, Liv, I'd always had in mind for the role. I'd seen her in in a few series a couple of years before and I just had her face in my mind as Angie. So um, we were very lucky that her schedule managed to line up with ours. Um, And Rob, Rob was a discovery actually for me. Um, He, what had he been doing? Wrong Girl, I think, before... um, I met him and that was someone that our casting director brought to me and said, I think you're really going to love this actor. Mm. And I did. (laughs) (laughs) Who wouldn't? (laughs) Um, The film's narrative never holds back and and you never shy away from uh, exposing every bit of these characters, both emotionally and physically. How did Mm. you ensure a comfortable working environment uh, to get the best out of their performances? Yeah, look, that's um, a really good question. And I, felt a great sense of responsibility that because I was asking the actors to be so um, vulnerable, both in terms of the emotional places that I was asking them to access, but also um, there's, you know, nudity in the film, which I hope is never gratuitous, but in in, in um, service to this theme of the body and the way it can trick us and betray us. So we... Um, you know, we talked a lot about it in rehearsal. We had, we were lucky to have quite extensive rehearsals, just the time for the actors to get to know each other and me and talk about how they wanted to tackle things. Um, you know, in any scene that was of a sensitive nature, we would have a closed set, obviously, um, and we would plan everything really meticulously beforehand to make sure that, you know, everyone knew exactly how it was going to run and there were no sort of surprises on the day. Um, we had a, we had a, a really female, um, strong, team so we had an all-female camera crew which is quite unusual 
um, which I think helped both Laura and Liv feel, you know, supported and kind of protected. You know, they're in this all-female realm when they were having to do some of the um, the nude scenes. But mm-hmm. it is an interesting question because, um, you know, there's actually no male nudity mm-hmm. in the film. And I feel, uh, you know, quite conflicted about that because I think, uh, you know, it, it, I really feel strongly about when you see films where the women are naked all the time yeah. and the men are not and yeah. the women are kind of turned into these sex objects. Um I really didn't want to make a film like that. Uh, but it's actually a lot harder to um, show male nudity because there's more taboos around showing that. You know, people are used to seeing nude women because it's become gratuitous. But um, so, yeah, it is um, it is an interesting question. Yeah, it really is. Um, <laughs> Uh, and, and if we're going to be talking about these people in front of the camera, you did mention some of the uh, people working behind the camera. Um, mm. You're surrounded by some exceptional filmmaking talent here, including uh, uh, Liz Watts, who I, who I refer yes. to as the super producer, Liz Watts. She's um, amazing. And uh, you've got uh, your production designer, Penelope Southgate, and, uh, and cinematographer, Bonnie Elliott, who is yeah. amazing here. How vital yeah. were these three in particular to creating your vision and, and bringing Undertow to life? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Bonnie and I had collaborated previously on um, our short film Perception. I'd, I'd been um, aware of Bonnie's work for years and I'd approached her uh, before about another short that unfortunately she you know, was already busy and then we worked together it was back in 2012, I think, on Perception and we just really hit it off. We um, became really great friends as well as loving working together. So she was involved pretty much from then, um, from, you know, back in 2012 in Undertow, um, in, in collaboration, um, we went on recce's down Geelong on the coast um, years before we actually shot and collect amassed imagery. And Bonnie's amazing because not only does she have this um, incredible visual aesthetic, uh, but she also just has a really good head for story and, she, and she's also an incredibly passionate hard worker. So, you know, she that relationship, that collaboration was um, was key, and we were talking about ideas for years before we actually shot anything. Um, Liz also, you know, someone as you said, a, she's a powerhouse, and I've always admired her work. So um, I had another um, project in development with her, and and I knew her through that. So she came on board as a support uh, for Undertow, and that was invaluable. Um, because, you know, to have someone that you can tr- just trust, trust their opinion so much is really invaluable. Um, and Penny, Penny I didn't know before this project, but, um, yeah, I was very glad to find her and she did an incredible job as well. I think she brought this really unique feel to the film. Mm-hmm, she really did. Um, mm-hmm. I've got one final question. Uh, sure. y- you've said that it's a thrilling time to be a female filmmaker. C- can you elaborate on that? Yes, well, I mean, uh, there's, as we know, there's been a lot of um, work being done at the moment in, to try and even out, um, you know, the, the gender balance in the industry. Um, Screen Australia has had some incredible initiatives through um, Gender Matters and other uh, initiatives that they've been supporting. And I think we are seeing, you know, um, a shift beginning to occur. And then, of course, there was a Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement. So, there's just so much discussion and awareness now and, 
you know, I, I really hope it's not just lip service. I hope that there is actually, um, you know, change being manifested. Um, I just think it's great that because there's always been all these women with stories and with talents and with voices um, and often I guess because, you know, we have been, the industry has been a fairly patriarchal system, those voices haven't necessarily had the chance to be heard but I feel like, you know, the times are changing and now people are saying we, we want to hear those stories, you know, there's a real hunger for um, female-led stories and, I mean, not that's not to, you know, say that people, you know, they don't involve men and that there's not great collaborations with men and, but it, I think there's just, you know, a lot of conversation happening around it. So that excites me that we might see um, a real change. Mm-hmm. Um, great answer. So tell our listeners uh, when they can see the film. Okay, so we've got um, a, a few event screenings coming up this week. So we premiere at the Randwick uh, Ritz in Sydney on uh, this Thursday the 27th uh, with a Q&A with myself and Laura. Um, we then have one in Canberra on Saturday the 29th, again with a Q&A, and then in Melbourne on the 5th of March at the Kino, and then um, the film uh, releases nationally from the 5th of March uh, in each state and territory. Go and see it, folks. You're going to love it. Um, Miranda, thank you very much for uh, joining the Cinema Australia podcast. Uh, we really appreciate it, and, and oh, thanks, uh, congratulations Matt. on the film. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to the Cinema Australia podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast on both iTunes and SoundCloud. For all the latest Australian film news, reviews, features and interviews, you can visit www.cinemaaustralia.com.au. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube at Cinema Australia. 